So I'm just going to take one, one minute here. I'm up here to introduce Charles today. Last time he was speaking, I moved this uh, lectern over, and he thought I was introducing him then. So uh, I thought I should do it for real this time, uh, give him a, a genuine introduction. So, but I didn't know what I was going to be facing uh, today when I came to church, so I've got to say something about that. And I just want to say, first of all, that uh, in light of Steve's comments, last year, a little over a year ago, Callie told me that sweater vests like I wear are like really cool on college campuses. So, uh, uh, in fact, I think it's what the coolest people wear. So, I mean, that's Callie. I'm going with Callie over Steve. So that that's, even though I stumbled into these because people just kept giving them to me, um, I, I've ended up in a good place, and I'm, I'm really, really glad of that. I, I don't want to say thank you um, uh, for your... Uh, light-hearted expression of love today. I really am uh, honored. I don't know whose idea it was, but I am going to investigate to find out who did that. I just, I wanted to say that. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, thank you, Brother Terry. Um, there's nowhere for me to go but down after that, um, after that introduction. And, um, Man, my granddad was not known as being an humble man, um, and uh, he would uh, he would share things about himself that somebody had told him that was really good. And after he'd get done, he'd say, it "Makes me real humble." And uh, <laughs> so I'm just gonna say that makes me real humble. Um, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for those words. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Terry and for his uh, friendship seeking God with me for so many years together. So, uh, and I really, I, this is something I rarely say, but uh, I uh, uh, want to say I'm getting interrupted here. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a, supposed to be a picture afterwards. That's going to be announced at the end. So I think, yes. Uh, so picture at the end of services with the sweater vest people. Please uh, please come up for that, yes. Um, and um, uh, I don't say this much because, honestly, I've been hesitant to, to say much about this because I still have, at least now, still a couple of people at least in Kentucky will watch our services and watch my sermons and uh I feel kind of bad to say openly how much I love being here because those people still love me up there and, uh, uh, and I still love them a lot and I, I love uh, those people so much up there. But I want you to know that it's really a privilege for us to be here and we're very thankful to be here and thankful for what God is doing among us here. So, okay, now I'm going get to get to things with uh, Charles here. I just wanted to, to briefly tell you uh, how this sermon came about. I asked Charles, we got to the, the end of the Exodus series, and it just hit me. I, I knew, or at least I thought I knew, I, I tried to look it up then in my sources and couldn't find it, but I thought I knew that the, the, the Exodus is a significant book in African-American uh, interpretation in, in the, their history of interpretation for African-Americans. And I thought, well, we haven't even touched on that the entire time we've been talking about this. And so I called Charles up and just said, hey, would you be willing to talk about that for us here? And uh, and he said, well, really, he hadn't experienced a lot of that in his own background, but uh, it is Black History Month, and a lot of churches draw attention to that at this time. And so it was worth uh, spending a little bit of time with and, and talking about it. And I just want to say that uh, uh, we're happy to get to do that here. And uh, just to remind you, we've talked openly about this before, but uh, we are 
seeking to be an interracial, interethnic church here, which means that uh, we need to listen to each other's different perspectives. Right? And I say that as somebody who uh, I'm not woke. <laughs> and when you start to talk about these things today, people say start using the labels on you, you know. Uh, I'm not woke. I'm not liberal. I'm just really against racism. <laughs> and uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Uh, and, uh, and I believe in the power of the gospel, and I believe the church ought to be the first place that tears down the walls that aren't be, being torn down in other places. And I believe that because Jesus has been doing that from the start. <laughs> and the gospel has been powerful enough to, to tear down walls that nobody thought could be torn down. And I believe that we ought to step aside from all the wrangling that goes on and just let Jesus <laughs> Let Jesus do what he does and tear down walls uh, between people groups. And that's what we, we want to do here. But to do that, that means we listen to each other. We listen to other perspectives. And uh, I'm just so thankful for a man like Charles, uh, whom I respect and trust so much to talk about. what I don't know what he's going to talk about exactly, but I can just turn it over to him to talk about uh, on a day like this with a subject like this, I can respect and trust him so much that uh, he's going to be faithful to the Lord in what he shares with us. And uh, and uh we're just really fortunate to have you, Charles, as an elder here. So would you please come forward and, and share with us this morning? Uh, thanks so much for that uh, introduction. I am uh, Charles McConnell. For those of you who don't know me, <laughs> and Luke, we'll just see how much you, uh, how much you trust me and, uh, and all that after we get done here. <laughs> But no, I appreciate it so much. I really do. Um, yeah, when, when Luke called me and asked me about that, I was like, oh, really? I, I, I just wasn't sure what, it, what he was really talking about. But uh, I was uh, raised up in an uh, all African-American uh, missionary Baptist church. And it was customary uh, during Black History Month, uh, African-American History Month, for us to uh, sing and let every voice and lift every voice and sing and we shall overcome and songs like that that was customary for us and uh, there would always be a sermon that was pointing somewhat towards uh, uh, black history and so uh, of course I've been away from that that uh, that culture for quite some time and uh, so I think it kind of caught me a little bit by surprise when uh, Luke asked me to, to do something like that you know and uh, but anyway, just the same. Uh, I appreciate the uh, invitation. You all know that I don't I don't speak very much here. Uh, you know, I've kind of left that to I think much more skilled men like Luke and Terry and even Josh. And uh, I've said it. <laughs> that that wasn't a joke. That was <laughs> that wasn't a joke. No, but uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I really really feel like we've got. Uh, just some of the finest men that stand before us uh, anywhere uh, that you can find anywhere. Uh, I don't care uh, churches large and small. I believe that we have some very, very fine godly men that stand before us and share with us the word of God. And I think we're very, very fortunate to have that in our, uh, in our church here. Uh, Luke, Olivia, uh, congratulations on three years being here. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't come with any more money. I uh, just want to just want to share that and uh, let you know. And uh, so, anyway, we'll we'll see what the next three years brings. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, but uh, anyway, 
Uh, one final thing, uh, just want to say that uh, some of my favorite ladies are here. My wife, Martha, who's been so supportive uh, over the years. Uh, I don't give her near enough credit uh, for how she stands behind me and, and really uh, encourages me. And uh, then my daughter and my granddaughter, uh, some of my favorite ladies are here with us today. And so I thank God for that and thank them for being here this morning. You know, over the course of the last few months, we have engaged in a study of the book of Exodus, of course, and if you've been here, you know that. Uh, and of course, the central theme of the book is God's liberation of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery and bringing them into a very special covenant relationship uh, with himself. And I really hope that as we read and as we studied the Exodus account, that we've been able to see that it is a, a type, an example, a picture, if you will, of our own exodus as Jesus Christ, our deliverer, uh, our Moses, if you will, uh, has led us out of the slavery, out of the bondage of sin and death and into a promised land of eternal life and righteousness. You know, John expressed it this way in John 8, 34 through 36. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And indeed, this morning, uh, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Moses, Jesus Christ, has led us out of sin and into a life of righteousness through him. Well, not only have we been freed from the bondage of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, many of us have experienced our own personal exodus, so to speak. The word exodus literally means the road out or the way out. And so some of us have experienced an exodus out of addictions. Some of us have experienced an exodus, a road out of depression, out of family dysfunctions, out of toxic relationships, and on and on and on, we continue to experience various exodus, if you will, throughout the course of our life, and in Jesus Christ and through him, he guides us and leads us out of those various things. Well, what I'm saying is that we continue to live through and experience various exodus experiences in the course of our lives. But this morning, because February is given the distinction of being Black History Month, I want to talk for just a few moments about the exodus of the African-American people. You know, it's sometimes said that the experience of black people in the history of this country in some ways resembles the story of the ancient Israelites in the book of Exodus. Now, before I go into this, once again, this is a little bit of history, and most of you all know this history, or at least parts of it, but I think it's good for us to revisit it from time to time, because it's often said that if we don't learn from history, we're destined to repeat its mistakes. And our history in this country is certainly something that we don't want to repeat whether with African-American people or any people of any distinction that are different in any way from the rest of us. Now, we know that during the earliest days of our nation, 
black men and women from the African continent and also from other countries were kidnapped from their homeland. They were put on overcrowded ships for what was a dangerous voyage to America where they would be sold into slavery. I didn't know this, but I was reading that generally as many as 15% of those who boarded those ships did not make it to America. They died either because of disease, because they were beaten to death, and many of them committed suicide because they grieved what lay ahead. Slavery in America was seen throughout the country, although it was most prevalent in the South where men and women served on plantations farming cotton, sugar, tobacco, and rice. Another interesting fact that I didn't know until I began to study a little bit was that the farming of sugar was really so labor-intensive and so difficult on a person's body that oftentimes slaves only lasted for an average of about seven years in the farming of sugar. Like the Israelites, the American slaves served under very harsh conditions with cruel overseers. They were treated like property rather than people. They would be branded like cattle. They were often punished mercilessly by whipping and by other means. Children were often separated from their parents, and slaves in America were denied all basic human rights since they were deemed to be property and not people. It was under these kinds of conditions that slaves in America longed for deliverance and freedom, crying out probably much like the ancient Israelites. Throughout the time of slavery in America, there were groups and individuals who swam against the prevailing current by speaking out for the abolition of slavery and also by helping slaves to escape for freedom. Some of these were Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, William Lloyd Garrison, and of course Harriet Tubman, who became known as Black Moses because of her success in helping some 70 slaves escape to freedom. Most slaves came to America with no knowledge of the true God, no knowledge of Jesus Christ or of the Christian religion. And since they were forbidden to receive any formal education, slaves were unable to read about the gospel story for themselves. However, some slave owners would have church services on their local plantations where slaves would be taught parts of the Bible. Very often, Christianity was used as a means to keep slaves in check by continually stressing passages such as Ephesians 6 and 5 and Colossians 3 and 22, which urged slaves to obey your earthly masters. On the other hand, there were enslaved preachers and often former slave preachers that would use the messages of Scripture, most notably from the Exodus, Exodus account, as a call to rebel against slavery. In 1831, for example, citing a vision that he received from God, Nat Turner led a slave rebellion that resulted in the killing of nearly 65 slave owners, overseers, and their families. But in spite of these abuses of Bible messages, Many slaves found the messages of Scripture as a source of hope and comfort. Slaves would often meet secretly for worship. 
God was preached as a deliverer of the oppressed and Jesus as the redeemer who comforted the downtrodden. Their worship was often colorful and animated with singing and dancing. It was a respite from hard labor under harsh conditions. There were no song books, but they would practice what's called call and response, where the leader would sing a passage or a psalm and the congregants would echo the praise, echo the phrase in song. This genre of song is still practiced in many African American churches even today. Matter of fact, it was very common in the church where I grew up. If I were a singer, I'd do a little bit of it for you, but uh, uh, ask me later. Maybe I can share a little bit of it privately. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, uh, Maybe uh, someone like Sister Irma, who knows, maybe Phil, y'all can help me in this, but it would go something like they would, uh, the leader would say, and it was usually done in the devotion, they would say, God me, oh, thy great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land, and the congregation would come back, God me, oh, thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. That's how it would go, something like that. <laughs> but <laughs> my dad was pretty good at it as well. Uh, many of the old spirituals were developed out of these uh, slave meetings. The songs told the story of their struggle and spoke of hope of a brighter day and time. There were songs like Go Down Moses, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, Down by the Riverside. He's got the whole world in his hands, and sometimes I feel like a motherless child. I mentioned that last one because it was a favorite of my mom's. It was recorded by Mahalia Jackson probably in the late 50s, early 60s. And around Christmas time, my mom always had a Mahalia J a Jackson album that she would play. And this was one of the songs on that album, and she always loved uh, listening to her. It must be noted that not even the Christian community was immune from the sin of racism and slavery. Historically, many professed Christians, some who were devout in other areas of their lives, owned slaves. And because of racial discrimination that was present in so many of the white churches, it led a preacher by the name of Richard Allen to establish the AME Church, the AME uh, denomination, that is African Methodist Episcopal in 1787. And then later on, the colored Methodist Episcopal Church would be founded in 1866. These were developed because uh, blacks were typically not uh, very well accepted uh, in white churches, white congregations. The Emancipation Proclamation was signed by President Lincoln in 1863 in the midst of the Civil War. Uh, the war ended in 1865, and it ushered in a period known as the American Reconstruction, which lasted until 1877. Uh, during this period, 
the 13th Amendment was passed, which officially abolished slavery in America. The 14th Amendment was passed, granting citizenship to African Americans. And then the 15th Amendment was passed, granting African American men the right to vote. The granting of these freedoms must have felt like the Israelites marched out of Egypt. They must have felt like now they had arrived in this country and they were part of this country. During the Reconstruction, African Americans took full advantage of their newly acquired freedoms. They participated in government, gained formal education, became landowners, and they traveled freely throughout the United States. It was also during this period when many former slaves migrated to the North, particularly to the state of Kansas, to settle parcels of land and to seek job opportunities. These became known as exodusters. It was also during the Reconstruction that the Ku Klux Klan was organized. This group hated the idea that African Americans could be considered as equals to whites, and they launched vicious attacks on black men and their families. The Klan continues even today as one of the several hate groups in America, and that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we have any groups like that in this country. After the period of Reconstruction, a new wave of African-American oppression began, mainly in the South, but in some measure throughout the United States. Southern states adopted what was known as Black Code or Jim Crow. These were strict laws that legalized racial segregation and limited the rights and freedoms of blacks in this country. Jim Crow lasted in the United States for nearly a century and did not officially go away until the passing of the Civil Rights Act in 1964. Amazingly, even though black men fought and died in the Civil War and two world wars, they were still not largely accepted and considered equals in this country. And even though the Civil Rights Act outlawed racial segregation, we still, even today, see remnants of a time in this country's history that most of us would like to simply forget about. That's because you can't legislate morality, you cannot legislate love or respect. These are qualities that flow from the heart, and no amount of laws or amendments can change a person's heart. I believe that this is kind of what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, when he said that God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Basically, Paul was saying that, you know, the law, it couldn't change the hearts of the ancient Israelites any more than laws and amendments can change the hearts of men today. But it takes a work of God on the hearts of men and women today to change their hearts. The love of God enters the hearts of people and makes things different. And this is why we will still see systemic racism, racial profiling, and heavy-handed policing against people of color. All those these things are wrong from a legal perspective without a change of heart, 
racism and all the injustices that go along with it will continue. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning, I'm not sharing this bit of history to make anyone feel guilty or uncomfortable. That's not my purpose at all. Although sometimes we might need to be challenged, and we might even need to be just a little bit uncomfortable. But you may remember that part of our vision as a church is to be a church that fosters Christian unity in the midst of diversity. And if this is our goal, then we must seek to understand the various backgrounds and the struggles of those who are different from us. We have to be willing to engage in dialogue with others who are seeking to follow Jesus, even though they're from other countries or look different or from a different family or social dynamic. That's the only way that we're going to be successful. Jesus provides our example for this. You remember in John chapter 4 how Jesus freely engaged a Samaritan woman, even though they both knew and recognized that the Jews and the Samaritans have no dealings with one another. And yet, Jesus was very comfortable in talking to that woman. And because of his encounter with her that day, her life was forever changed. And it even changed the lives of many Samaritans that came out to see Jesus. In Luke 19, Jesus engaged Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. These tax collectors, or publicans, were hated and shunned by the Jewish community. They were treated as traitors of the Jews. But Jesus was willing to be a guest in the home of Zacchaeus. He was willing to freely engage this man, even though the rest of the Jew Jewish community would not. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus healed the servant of a Roman centurion. Even though the Romans were considered the enemies of the Jews, the oppressor of the Jewish people, and yet Jesus was willing to follow this man home and to show him kindness by healing his servant. And on more than one occasion, Jesus engaged the lepers who were the outcasts of Jewish society. Yet Jesus embraced them, he healed them, he talked to them, and he accepted them as people. Over and over again, Jesus demonstrated his heart for people, no matter how different they were, and no matter what everyone else thought about it. And I beloved, it, I believe that he wants that same heart, that same purpose to be present in his followers. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28, the Bible says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male, no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. May I add, there is no black, there is no white. We are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, there's no black Jesus. There's no white Jesus, no Jewish Jesus, no Hispanic Jesus. But we are all the children of God through faith in one Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for all nations and all races. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and verse 35, when Peter was at the household of Cornelius, the Bible says that Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation who, anyone who fears him and does what is right 
is acceptable to him. Beloved, if God shows no partiality, then neither should his children. Acts 17 and verse 26, when Paul made this speech on Mars Hill, he said that God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. It seems like what Paul is saying in that passage there is that we all have one point of origin, and that's Adam. Now, we may all look different now. We may talk different now. We might have some different beliefs here and there and social distinctions and all of that. But ultimately, as the Bible says, we were all made from one blood. We have a common connection. Beloved, it's time that the church, it's time that Christ's followers stand up and take the lead in abolishing racism and social injustice. And I'm not talking about political posturing here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about pushing for more laws because, once again, history has shown us that this simply doesn't work. But it will only happen as we take on the heart of Jesus Christ, our Lord, loving people, whoever they are, whatever they look like, whatever their background, and regardless of what the world around us is doing. Let's talk to others with empathy for their struggles and the issues that affect their lives. Don't simply dismiss things like Black Lives Matter just because we don't understand it or just because it doesn't match our politics. As a church, we are actively exploring mission opportunities in the Indian community here in Irving, as well as partnering, partnering with Christians in India who are bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to those in their country. And let me tell you, beloved, we're not going to be successful in this type of effort unless we're truly willing to practice Christian unity in the midst of diversity. Much progress has been made in this country, but I don't think that the exodus out of social injustice and discrimination against African Americans is complete. But I pray that as the Spirit of God moves in the heart of Christians and others, it's going to get better and better in our country. The passage that I had read uh, well, let's see if I can find it here. I had a passage read, but anyway, it came out of Ephesians uh, chapter 2. And uh, anyway, I don't have it, and I certainly can't quote it. I'm going to have to start practicing memory, Luke, uh, like you talked about. But let me just close with this. My mom and my dad were both from uh, northern Louisiana. And... Uh, not very far from where Luke was born, actually, and uh, many of you are very familiar with that part of the country, but uh, Jim Crow was very prevalent, very prevalent in, uh, in Louisiana. Uh, matter of fact, the only, really, the only sign that I saw of it, because I was born and raised in Kansas City, uh, one time we were back in Louisiana for a uh, vacation to visit my grandparents, and uh, I was in downtown Bernice, uh, which is uh, uh, where my mom was born, and uh, I saw a sign that said, for whites only, on, uh, on, a, uh, 
on over covering a restroom when we were downtown. I told my mom I need to go to the bathroom, and uh, she steered me away from that place. But anyway, um, uh, my parents migrated north to Kansas City, and I'm sure that my mom and dad uh, saw and heard many things in their life. Uh, my grandparents uh, were, uh, uh, I'm, well, let me just say this, I'm probably just about three generations removed from slavery. I know that my great-great-grandparents were born in slavery. And, uh, you know, in spite of that, my mom and my dad, they, they never, they never um, spoke against whites or they never taught me any type of racial hatred or anything like that. And matter of fact, I can remember very at a very pretty young age that my mom even had white folks into the house, and that wasn't uncommon at all for us. And so I just, uh, I don't know, I just, uh, I think that just stuck with me, uh, just really stuck with me. My, my parents were very good people, very good Christian people, and uh, they, uh, they accepted anybody um, from anywhere, and uh, I just think that, that that heart, that attitude needs to be prevalent in all Christ's followers, and uh, I think as, as that grows more and more, uh, racial discrimination uh, can really, really become a thing of the past. God bless you. Thank you.